0: So I'm going to tell you a story today. It's a true story about a criminal who was on death row in his last day of life. And you can actually find this story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 32 to 43, if you ever want to look it up. But I'll I'll just tell it to you here. Um, We don't know the name of this criminal. So even if you're not a criminal and you're never planning to be on death row, I think you'll be able to identify with this story because it's a story about anybody who's done anything bad, people who have maybe anyone who's ever wronged another person or done something horrible. So this this is this is a story about those kinds of people. I think it's maybe something that we can all identify with at one point or another in our lives. Um, this man's specific crime was was um, robbery. We don't, we don't know what he stole. We don't know how, if he was in the habit of stealing. But this man was a thief and he had been caught red-handed. There was evidence presented against him. And he was sentenced to death for stealing. Well, we, we also don't know his motivations. We don't know if maybe he had a wife and kids at home and he was out of a job and he was just stealing to provide for the family or make ends meet. We don't know if maybe he was just a lazy guy. And he just uh, didn't want to work. Uh, we don't know if maybe he got sucked into a gang and ended up doing things he never imagined he'd do. It. The story doesn't tell us that. So it's kind of nice actually because it makes it very open. You can kind of fill in the details with maybe your own experience or the experiences of other people that you know. If this man lived in France, let's say a couple of centuries ago, he would have... Been, he would have been uh, condemned to the guillotine. He would have had his head severed from his body. If he lived in the United States of America, he would have been sentenced to uh, death either by lethal injection or by the electric chair. So, if you can imagine a, day, a, a man on his last day, either going to going to the guillotine or going to the uh, the electric chair or lethal injection, that's the idea of this man. This story didn't happen in France or in the United States of America, though. This story happened across the ocean. In the Middle East, about a little under 2,000 years ago, so a little under 20 centuries ago, at that point in the Middle East, the Roman Empire was occupying that area and their official means of execution was crucifixion. Now, if you were were not a Roman citizen or if you were in the lower classes, then the method was crucifixion. It wasn't actually for Roman citizens and upper class kind of people. So anyway, this story happens in the city of Jerusalem, the day before the great Passover festival. So Jerusalem was swarming with people. It was noisy with mobs crowding the streets, people taking their sheep to be sacrificed for Passover. And if you can imagine, before the sun even rose that morning, if you can imagine a Roman soldier coming down the hallway with his boots clomping on the stones in in the dark hallway and opening that prison door and uh, bringing out this man who had been sentenced to death he was sitting there on death row waiting for his turn to crucifixion that's how the story opens that morning uh, we don't know as he was led out and as he was taken to crucifixion whether his family was there maybe they were watching for him maybe they didn't even know that this was the day that he was going to die maybe he didn't have family I, again there are a lot of details in the story that it, it doesn't say. It's probable though that he was taken to an area where he was his hands were tied and he was whipped thoroughly. He was he was flogged before being taken out to be crucified. Um, if you listen closely to the Roman soldiers that were escorting him outside of the city for his execution, they, he probably heard them calling the, the, the crossbeam that he was carrying on his back, it was like as heavy as a railroad try. he probably heard them calling that a patibulum. That was the, the term in Latin that they called that crossbeam, when a man would carry his own cross en route out of the city to the place of execution. So anyway, he, that's what he did. He carried his, his crossbeam, his patibulum, outside down the crowded streets of Jerusalem early in the morning. And uh, after being whipped thoroughly and, and probably being in some state of dehydration and some shock and great pain, he carried it down the streets, he carried it out of the gate of the city to a hill that all the lake locals called Skull Hill. The place of executions. It was, a, it was a big rocky hill, barren on top. And if you looked at the way the rocks were arranged, it almost looked like two deep eye sockets on the hill. And on, on the top of that hill is where uh, Roman prisoners would be executed. In, uh, in Hebrew, Aramaic, it was called Golgotha. Golgotha, Skull Hill. Uh, as, he was, as he was led out for crucifixion, he noticed there were two other men that were also being led out that, and, uh, for crucifixion. One of them was carrying his patibulum, his crossbeam. The other man was staggering along. And uh, he wasn't carrying the crossbeam. There was a man behind him carrying it for him. So as they, as they, as they reached the place, there, were, there was a crowd around. Some people were bawling and crying and, and reaching out to the, the men who were going to die that day. Other people were standing at a distance and watching for entertainment, looking for some kind of amusement. Other people were simply, simply neutral, just, just standing there. Uh, the, 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 the man... They were lined up. All three men: the man on one side, another, another the, the other man who carried his patibulum on the other side, and, and, and the young man who didn't carry his crossbeam for whatever reasons in the middle. And uh, the, the criminal watched as the, as the Roman soldiers laid the, uh, the man on the far side down on his back, and as they drove seven-inch spikes through his wrist and spikes through his ankles and nailed him to the cross. And he, he heard the man screaming in pain as they as he raised him up on the cross he was He was cursing at the soldiers and uh, the people gathered there and spitting at them and screaming in anger and, and in pain. He watched as the, the second man the young man who couldn 't carry his crossbeam was uh, was laid down and as he was nailed nailed to that wood and as he was hoisted up, but something was different about that man that the second man, the young man who sta- who was staggering and couldn 't carry his crossbeam he he wasn 't screaming at the crowds he wasn 't cussing at the soldiers he wasn't spitting at people he was actually screaming something about father forgive them they don't know what they're doing so what he, what he heard from that young man and then it was his turn and they laid him down on his back and they drove those spikes through his wrists also the commander and the four four soldiers the soldiers that were in charge of the execution and they hoisted him up also and as he, as he looked over in pain, he could see that the soldiers had gone back to the man in the middle, and they had climbed up and they were fixing a sign over his head that he said, Yeshua of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And this criminal realized, I have heard of this young man. I have heard of this guy. This is the, this is the rabbi from, from the, from the northern province, from the Galileo. This is the itinerant teacher. This is, this is the miracle worker that, that has been, um, making such a buzz around our whole country. I've heard of this man And we don't know We, For all we know This criminal may have heard Yeshua teaching at some point For all we know At the very least though He certainly knew of Yeshua He, he had heard the stories About how this man Healed lepers Something that nobody had ever done How he had How he had raised people Literally from the dead He had brought corpses back to life he 'd heard the story about probably about the young man, the, the only son of the widow from nain he 'd heard the story about Elazar, possibly just a couple of days earlier, in a little uh, suburb of Jerusalem being raised from the dead after being dead for four days it 's probably heard the stories oh. He watched after the soldiers affixed the sign over Yeshua he, he watched them go down he watched them. Um, take the, the garment of the, of the young rabbi and uh, look at it and realize that it was a seamless garment. It was actually relatively expensive. He watched them cast lots, which was the ancient form of throwing dice for that garment to see which of the four soldiers would get it. He watched his, uh, the people out across the, the crowd that he gathered around. Some of them were shouting insults and mocking the, the people that were, that were suffering and that were going to die that day. And others were, were crying and, and beating their chests in, 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 in real mourning. Yeah, he saw. He started to identify some of the people in the audience. They weren't your your regular people. They were they were dressed with expensive clothes. They had some they had things on that would indicate they were city officials or religious leaders, maybe even priests from the city. And he saw that they were they were catcalling and mocking the itinerant rabbi Yeshua in the middle, uh, calling him names and uh, saying he saved others. Why why can't he save himself? If this is God's Mashiach, God's chosen one. Why doesn't, he, why doesn't he save himself? He watched uh, as the Roman soldiers picked up on that theme and began mimicking the, the, the city officials and religious leaders, saying, yeah, why doesn't this guy come down from the cross? Look at this sign, he's the king of the Jews. You'd think he could save himself at the very least. And then he, uh, the criminal looked over, and he saw on the other side the angry man nailed up on the end and he too was, was screaming at the middle man and he was shouting at him and he was saying why, why, why if you're the Mashiach why don't you why don't you save us and, and save yourself and that's when uh, that's when this criminal that was on death's row this criminal whose, whose last day on earth it was he said uh, he looked over to the uh, the angry the angry criminal and he said hey don't you have any respect for God? You and I, we deserve this punishment. But this man, he did nothing wrong. We, we deserve this. We're getting what's coming to us. But this guy is innocent. He said to the man across from him. And then he, uh, then he turned to Yeshua in the middle and he said, Yeshua, remember me. When you come in your kingdom... Yeshua looked over at the criminal from the cross and he said, truly I say to you, which is like him saying, seriously, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. A short conversation we can, we get to listen in on between these two men on their, on their last day on earth before their death. Um, shortly after that, uh, darkness hit the whole country, probably a solar eclipse. People were screaming in fear. Many people left. The crowd began to disperse. Uh, this, this criminal um, his, 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 his muscles began to cramp horribly as, as he began to go through dehydration and shock. Uh, he could barely breathe and he, almost on the verge of suffocation. And of course, the, he felt such excruciating pain along with the other two men with, uh, with these great metal spikes driven through the, the nerves in his wrists and in his ankles. Um, in the mid-afternoon, the, the young rabbi, he, he looked over to, to see him Asking for something and then, and, and, and then shouting, Father, into your hands, I'm giving my spirit. He watched as the young rabbi's head slumped and he died. He, he looked over to see the commander in charge of the four soldiers that had executed him staring at the young man who just died and saying, Truly, this man, this man really was innocent. Yeah. At that point, um, some of Yeshua's disciples began to disperse and leave the scene. They, they saw the rabbi die. It was, it was over. Um, th- this criminal and the other angry criminal on the other side, they probably would have hung there for several days in most situations, but this was a different, this was a different day. There was a, there was a high Sabbath, a Passover festival, Shabbat, beginning that night. And so the Jewish leaders went to the Roman authorities and said, could you take the bodies down before this before this festival day? And so Roman soldiers came and they did something that in Latin was called curafragium. Maybe, maybe if he had even listened to the Roman soldiers who came, they would have heard that phrase and they took an iron club and they smashed his legs thoroughly and they smashed the legs of the other man and uh, he died shortly after that from the shock and just from the suffocation when he was unable to even stand up and uh, hold himself up. So, the last, the last words on that criminal on his last day on earth, as he was dying, were, were the words of that, the young rabbi who said, Today, you are going to be with me in paradise. And uh, that's the point where the curtain closes. That's the point where he left his body. That's the point where he walked out of the dimensions of space and time and he walked into the fifth dimension. And uh, a couple days after that, that young rabbi was raised from the dead. And he appeared to many people, eyewitnesses, about 500 of them. So if that young rabbi was correct in predicting that he would be raised from the dead, that he would come back, it's highly probable that he was also correct in predicting that that man, that that, that criminal on death row, that criminal who showed a tender-hearted side at the end, it's highly probable that he was correct in saying that he was going to be with him in paradise that day. It's a sad story. It's a sad story about a man who died uh, brutally. It's also a really touching story about a man who, who reached out, who had tenderness in his heart, even though he was, uh, he was on death row. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll ask you a couple of questions about this story, and just just think about this. What What do you? Is there anything about this story that really touches your heart? Anything that you really like? Uh, for me, it feels like such an honor to listen into a conversation between two dying men. Some of their last words on earth, I mean, to hear the last words of anyone on planet earth before they die, it's, it's an honor. But to hear the last words of, of this man and then our, 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 our rabbi himself, it's such an honor. It's, speci- it's especially special because if you were only to read the Gospels of Matthew... And Mark and John, you would never hear this dialogue that occurred. It was something, it's something that's only, it's only recorded in the Gospel of Luke. So that's something that I, I, really like about this story, how, how special it is. Um, is there anything about this story that maybe bothers you? Uh, frankly, the brutality of this story really bothers me. What human beings are capable of doing to each other, the, the ugliness to which we as the human race have fallen. It, that is something that really bothers me about this story. It also really bothers me that, that people can be so cruel, that, that people can see someone who's in distress, someone who's in pain, someone who's crying out. And instead of feeling compassion or reaching out and helping them or comforting them, uh, people will often stand at a distance and, and be calloused and mock that person or, uh, and, and catcall them and make fun of them. Or at the very least, talk about them behind their back. That's something that really bothers me about this story. When you look at the different people in this story, here's another question: Is there anyone in the story that you really identify with? Have you had an experience similar to someone in this true story? Uh, maybe you can identify with the soldiers. Did you ever have a time in your life when you crucified someone else, as it were? Maybe you knew at the time you were doing it, but you thought, "They deserve it." Or maybe you thought, "I'm simply acting under authority," uh, something like that. Have you ever had an at- a time in your life when you could say yes? I I was that bystander, I was that city official, I was that soldier, I saw someone in pain, I heard someone crying out in distress, and instead of helping them, reaching out, comforting them, I just stood at a distance and watched, or I I made fun of them, I mocked them. Maybe some of us could say, yeah, I can identify with that, sadly enough. Um, Maybe you can identify some experiences in your life... um, where you could identify with the friends of Yeshua, his close disciples, or with his own family members, his mom, his brothers, his sisters, who were probably there watching at a distance, crying. I'm sure his mom's heart was breaking as she saw her her oldest son dying that day, unjustly, and in so much pain, and in disgrace. Maybe you can identify with seeing a loved one in pain, and asking those big questions. Those big questions. Feeling confused, feeling heartbroken. Uh, Maybe you can identify with times in your life when you were the angry criminal on the other side of Yeshua, where you were in pain, where you didn't feel like you were being treated justly, and where you lashed out in anger and said, why are you letting this happen to me? Why don't you save me? Why don't you get me out of this situation? Maybe we can identify with the angry criminal at times. Maybe we can identify with the tender-hearted criminal, a, a man who, who is stuck in his ways, Who was, was in a rut, who couldn't change his behavior, and who eventually was caught red-handed, and who was condemned to death, and who had a change of heart on the last day of his life. Maybe we can, we can look at times in our lives where we had changes of heart, where we started writing a new chapter, where we turned over a leaf. Maybe you can identify with the tender-hearted criminal too, in, in that he cherished a hope of paradise. Based on a promise that Yeshua made to him. Based on something that the Master said. He cherished to hope that he would be with Yeshua forever in paradise. Here's another question. What does does this story tell us about Yeshua and and the gospel, the good news about him? Uh, Something this story tells us about Yeshua is that when people reach out to him in their time of distress, in times of pain, he responds to them. He he responds very very favorably to people like that. Something else this story tells us is that our acceptance into paradise is based on our acceptance of Yeshua. And that's something that we'll look at in a little more detail in just a second. Uh, Something else this story tells us is that when times are tough, every one of us gets to choose whether we are going to be the 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 angry criminal on the one side of the master who's also nailed up there or whether we will be the tender hearted criminal the angry criminal is the one who looked over at the suffering savior and lashed out at him and said why are you letting this happen and he said cutting words There, there, there will be times when we'll all we'll all want to do that we will all feel that impulse And the question is, is that how we'll respond? Or will we respond like the tender-hearted criminal? And will we reach out to Yeshua in faith? Will we reach out to our suffering Savior in love? Why? Because He's right there with you. Because He's nailed up with you. Because He is feeling what you're feeling. Because He is suffering on your behalf. It's something to, it's something to remember in hard times. There's times like that we can also remember the, the, actually the very wise words of that tender-hearted criminal. He said, This man is innocent. This man did nothing wrong. So when you are feeling pain, when you when you are nailed up, when you are in a tough position and you just cannot get out of it, when people are misunderstanding you and mocking you behind your back and whatever the case may be, just look over at Yeshua and and see Him suffering with you. See Him bearing the same pain and disgrace. And remember, you have sinned. You do have a criminal past. But the man next to you is innocent. He didn't do anything wrong. And he's there for you because he loves you. You're not alone. That's something to remember from this story. Here's another question. What does this story tell us about Yeshua and his kingdom? Something this story tells us is, like Yeshua said, today you will be with me in paradise. Did you get that? With me in paradise. Paradise is all about being with Yeshua. Paradise is wherever he is. If you, if you look at the world around you, everyone has their own version of paradise. Something you may want to do sometime is just go to the magazine stand at a grocery store, a supermarket, or any kind of, or some kind of store like that, and just look at all the different versions of paradise out there. Almost every magazine is a picture of some people's paradise. For some people, paradise is a, a, a brand spanking new home. For some people, paradise is a well-manicured lawn. For some people, paradise is having that ripped body with uh, almost no, with almost no, um, whatever, fat. You know, there are, there are so many versions of paradise out there. And if you begin to just look at our culture, you'll very quickly see what their, what their idea of paradise is. Because everybody has it. What we learn from the story, though, is paradise is where Yeshua is. Yeshua is our paradise. As, as as people who have fallen in love with Him, as people who know Him personally, as people whose hearts He has won. He's our paradise. We also learn from the story that Yeshua's kingdom is paradise. So, like, either Yeshua is re- ruling in an individual's life, and you will see it by their actions and by the way they, way they relate to other people, either He is ruling in the life of an individual, or a family, or a whole city, or He isn't. What the story tells us is, where Yeshua is ruling, there is paradise. Not just in the afterworld, not just in the life to come, but right now. If Yeshua is ruling in you, you're experiencing his paradise. If Yeshua is ruling over a city, as you begin to see his kingdom, you will see paradise. Of course, we don't see that fully, right? But when Yeshua comes back, we will begin to see that fully in our individual lives and in over planet Earth, and in various cities. Uh, the last thing this story tells us about Yeshua's kingdom is that when a disciple of Yeshua dies, they go home to be with him in paradise. So these are some uh, these are some questions that you know I, I I I'll share with you today as we as we as we think about that this story. And uh, maybe maybe the last question I'll just throw out there, open ended, and you can you can tell me whatever you think. Um, how, how, how does this story affect how you see the world, how you see yourself and the people around you? How does this story affect maybe how you do life? Shalom, I'm Izzy Avraham, and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.